And now you can uh, stand back up. Everybody stand back up. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't say it fast enough. I want you to hear this text that we're acring into each week. And I just wanted to stand at attention as we hear it. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Okay, you can sit down now. Literally take a load off. The set of promises that are contained in this invitation of Jesus, I just, I just love them. The promise that Jesus is going to lighten our heavy loads when we follow him in some way. That there's something about following him that eases our burdens. That, there's, that, that our lives become restful because of our connection to Jesus. I'm really prayerful and hopeful in this series that we've called Unburdened. That that's not just the title of this series, but that you're receiving these aspects of the gospel that we're covering, that you're really receiving the truth in them and that they are lightening your gate, that they are lightening your load. Without any circumstances changing at all, there are kingdom truths that when we receive them, they become more true and more impactful on our hearts and our souls, as Jesus says here. They become more true than the very real circumstances that we're encountering. So I'm hoping that you are receiving what we call the great invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11 at greater and greater levels as we end up 2021. I hope you wake up in 2022 and you just, you've so believed him and these aspects of the gospel that we're covering that you are lighter, that you are lighter. God knows the world needs it, needs a people that can demonstrate this, that will deliver this. So I'm going to present another aspect of the gospel, but I want to tell you next week, I'm going to be gone to Houston for a wedding of a dear friend and some dear friend's son. And uh, so my family will be gone. So Dimitri Green, I met with him a couple weeks ago at lunch and went over this series. And uh, I, I, y'all, some of y'all know, I quoted him a few times in my last series on race and, and just I sat in his class at the feet of his teaching. And he's a great teacher and passionate teacher and preacher. And so I asked him, hey, would you, would you mind fitting into this series for me? I'm going to be out of town. And he, I mean, he said, yes. I mean, he was like, before I finish the question. And so I'm, I'm eager for you to hear his great teaching in the series, but I'm, uh, he's a great teacher. He's gifted, but I'm, mo- I'm really eager because he's so eager. Like, that's just awesome. That is just awesome. And so I'm very excited for you uh, to have him in this series next week. So bless him. I know you will bless him like you bless me um, as you hear his teaching. So today's aspect that I want to talk about is addresses one of the, maybe one of the weightiest parts of being a human being that, that we carry around with us. And I want, I want to discuss that like I have in each week first. And, and this week we're we need relief from judgment. Judgment might be one of the weightiest things 
that human beings need relief from. And it comes in lots of forms. I can actually think of very few things that are heavier than living under the oppressive weight of judgment. And let me say this. I'm not just talking about false judgment, right? Judgmentalism is not necessarily always just false judgment. I, that, I am talking about false judgment, right? When, when people just judge us because of something, we, something superficial, that you got to go deeper to really make good judgment, right? Someone might judge you for how you spend your money or simply because of your appearance, how you dress or your race or your gender, or they judge you by how you vote. They judge you just for something superficial, right? Now, I am talking about that because living under those just judgments that I'm calling false judgments, it's still weighty. It's still a weight. It it can bear us down, true or false. But I'm not just talking about false judgment. I'm also talking about true judgment. Right? Things that we should be judged for. When you break the law and are found guilty. That's, that's true. When you cheat and you get busted. And you get judged. There's consequence. That's true. When someone doesn't trust you because you have lied in the past. That, that, it's not that you didn't lie. You did. And so the judgment is it's true. These true judgments or justified judgments in some instances that you might be living under, those might be even heavier than false judgments because they're true. And it doesn't make it any less oppressive. It doesn't make it any less heavy because of that. And going full Christian here, right? Just just forget just the human understanding of judgment. Going full Christian, judgment against sin is not just real, it's necessary, and it's right. Like, judgment against sin is right. It's, it's good, it's biblical, it's present. And, so, and since in Romans 3.23, we learn that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, we all deal with the oppressive weight of judgment. There's no one that's not in danger of feeling the weight of judgment. So let me just identify, I, I was thinking through, there's, there's le- judgments actually su- used in such a wide variety of ways, and there's also layers of sources that bring judgment, okay? And I, 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 I identified four, y'all might could think of some more. What, the first one I'll point out is social judgment, right? Just society has decided something about you or something you've done is, is socially unacceptable, and you are worthy of judgment, Okay, social judgment. In our culture, one of the things that we hear about, just making this impersonal, um, it's cancel culture or call-out culture, right? That's one example of society's use of judgment right now, right? And, um, and, and it's impersonal, right? It's not necessarily someone you know, and that's what I'm pulling. And, and some people call it under the guise of social justice. It's not social justice. It's actually social judgment being hidden behind a smoke screen of social justice. There is social justice. That's something that's biblical. But social judgment is something that our society does, and that, that can hurt. When I, when I was preaching, this is just how tender this is in our country right now. When I was preaching on the subject of race, part of my, mm, I didn't want to say something wrong. It's going to be right there. It's going to be for the world to see. And somebody could hear it and take it and, and use it as a reason that I should not be your preacher. 
You know, I mean, that's, that's, so that's social judgment. There's other forms, but that's one that's out there. Getting a layer more personal is interpersonal judgment. This is where it really starts to hit home. It's more local. It's more personal. This heaviness happens when someone close to you, you know, someone you know, judges you for some reason. Or, and I'm talking about you, but it's when you judge others too. That's interpersonal judgment, right? So there's, be thinking of them too, but I'm helping you think about this. It can be as distant as a neighbor or a coworker or a colleague, or it can be as close as a spouse or a sibling or your parents or your children. And church definitely falls in this realm, being judged by people at church, living under judgment. Again, it doesn't matter if it's false or true. We're not distinguishing those. It's just heavy. Living under judgment is heavy. And we all deal with it. So there's a, then there's another layer is God's judgment. I've already mentioned that. Now, social judgments and interpersonal judgments, those can be false sometimes, right? They can be right, they can be true, but they can also be false. But the judgments of the Lord, they are true and righteous altogether. Now, how do I know that? Because while I was studying, I found this verse in Psalms that says, oh, do you have it up there, no, you don't have it. Do you have it up there? Yeah. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Right? We know that he is always right. Now, there is a huge gap I have learned in myself and in ministry to you. There's a huge gap between the righteous and true judgments of God and our perceptions of the judgments of God. Okay? Even when they're righteous and true, they can be weighty. So we are addressing that because they're righteous and true. But these, our perceptions of God's judgment can be even weightier because our perceptions are not always righteous and true, but we attribute them to God. And that leads me to the last layer, and I put this one last, self-judgment. I put this one last because I think this is what God has to deal with in you for you to receive his message of gospel. I think this is the litmus test. If you can get past this one, then you can get past the others and experience what the kingdom intends. You did not have carrying around. That's my experience. This is the major obstacle within people that must be overcome if we are going to experientially have the gospel. We might have it here, but experientially, longest journey of our life, six inches from what we know to be true to what we actually feel and experience to be true. And so this one's big. Most Christians I know who, uh, Christians now, that deal with self-judgment, they call it God's judgment. They take their condemnation that they apply to themselves, but they don't say, I'm just doing that. They, they export it to God. And they say, God judges me for that. How do you know? I've told y'all this many times that many of Many people have come to me. Many of you have come to me with this, but I have one woman in my mind that sat across my desk and just said it so overtly. So this is how you know if someone's living under self-judgment. She said, she said, I get the gospel. I know God forgives. His grace abounds for you and for my kids and for everyone, but not me. Not me. You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. So I love when, I mean, I hate that that's happening, but I love when that happens because I know exactly their work. I know exactly how to speak to that. I've been there, done that, and 
can help someone else with that because it's all a matter of belief. And so we just try to navigate that. So that's one of the ways some people just announce that they are living under the weight of self-judgment. But there's others, there's others that live under the weight of judgment and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. It's just that, remember, I keep using this example. Your computer has a window open that's using a whole bunch of your hard drive's energy, but you're not even enjoying what it's doing, and it's, it's, it's messing up the system and, and your experience with the computer, but it's just down there, and you, you don't know you need, to, you need to close that thing to feel the lightness. So how do you know when someone is living under the weight of judgment? There is a way. Like I said, sometimes they announce it, and I love that, but if they don't, it's just this secret thing that's going on. There's a tell. You can tell when somebody's doing this. You can, and you might need to apply this to yourself. What's the tell? Their judgment of others. If they, in any circumstance, in any situation, in any interpersonal situation, or on TV, or anything if they judge they have that window open i believe this you you might argue against it but i've seen it over and over in myself and in others that's the tell if they struggle if you struggle with judging others anyone socially distant or interpersonally or yourself you're dealing with the weight of judgment you put this to the test. You look at some of the next time, you probably, you probably won't get through the day where you don't hear somebody who's got some judgmental attitude about somebody, you know? And you check them. You, you use your faith x-ray visions and you check them and look at their lives and see if they are free from guilt and shame. See if they walk lightly through life in their own skin, even with their sin. See if they're not a striving sort of person. As if they're trying to make up for something. Just wearing themselves out. Sometimes, maybe most of the times, with good works, godly things. Just wearing themselves out. Saying yes to everything. And they're tr- as if they're trying to make up. Desperate to make up for something inside of themselves. Somehow to try to please God. Watch them and observe and see if they don't often need to highlight the things they do well or that they do right and hide the things that they have not done well and have not done right. See, see if that, that, see, that's somebody who deals with self-condemnation, who's carrying the weight of judgment. No matter how light it is, it's in there. Those who feel judged, judge. And it can come from any source. The number one defense you hear from someone who is like being convicted in our political system is where you see see it a bunch. Someone who's being confronted on something that they've done wrong. What do they do? Well, they go back to the previous administration. Or they go back to someone else who's sitting across the aisle and they say, well, then there's this. They don't say they're not guilty. They are guilty, but they've got to justify it. Defend it. Those who feel judged judge let me ask am i describing you in any way in any way today i'm describing me but i've gotten to work on this a lot so it's only on those days when i forget this aspect 
of the gospel that addresses the weight of judgment. The aspect of the gospel that addresses, that frees us from the weight of judgment is mercy. It's mercy. So listen, judgment is real. It's powerful, okay? It's even appropriate. It's in the Bible. It's a part of it. And, and it moves things. Judgment is powerful. That's what I'm trying to say. And I found in my study this, 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 this little insight on the power of judgment that I've never really seen before. I stumbled upon it in Isaiah. If I can find it. There it is. It's in Isaiah 53. This is a messianic prophecy of Isaiah. A messianic prophecy is just something that, uh, a prophetic word that had its role to play in that time, but it also points forward to Jesus, the Messiah. All right, so I want you to read it in terms of pointing forward to Jesus. Now, I'm just going to read one verse of it, but it goes through, and you know it's talking about Jesus prophetically because it talks about this, this man, this Savior, this Messiah who was despised, who was rejected, he was not esteemed, he was afflicted, he was pierced, he was crushed, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Now, this is the question as I read that and got to verse 8 that I'm going to read you here in a minute. Is what, what did this? What What force was utilized? What was the tool that was utilized to crucify the most innocent of innocents? Okay, what what did, I know the enemy, Satan, is behind it, but what tool did he use to mobilize people to crucify, to kill God, as one book title puts it? It's in verse eight. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. It was judgment. He used judgment. Judgment was the driving force that justified the killing, the death of the most innocent of innocents. Judgment is real and it's powerful. Even when it's false judgment, it's heavy. But when it's true judgment, it might be even heavier. We might think we should die. It should end in death, the weight of judgment. Because we're not the innocent of innocents. But the gospel's solution to that weight is mercy. It's mercy. Now, you might find yourself resisting that it's a bit theologically, right? You're like, okay, but, and you might understandably declare this, you know, with all of your, with some scriptures to to support it. Judgment is necessary. It's an important part of the story of God. I mean, we have in our mind this judgment day, We get that from scripture, okay? That idea, it's in the message of Christ that wrath of God against sin is a real thing. So you might find yourself going, stop trying to diminish judgment. It is an important part of the gospel message. It is an important part of the Christian life. It's necessary, and you would be right. Where you would go wrong and you often do, and I do too, is the role that judgment plays in the Christian life. See, the role that judgment plays is outlined in Scripture as well, and it's not side by side with mercy. And there's a verse, it's James, that says it very clearly, the way you need to think of judgment. Because we gotta think of judgment, but the way we have to think of judgment for it to be biblical is when James says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Yes, judgment's real. Yes, 
There's a valid part of good judgment and righteous judgment and God's judgment and even our judgment against sin. But you are doing it wrong if you lift it up as equal to mercy. You will only do it biblically to anyone and to yourself. And you will only understand the heart of God and the role judgment plays if you are living as if mercy triumphs over judgment. Because it does. This is the biblical view of judgment. It is one that cannot be spoken of except on the backdrop and through the lens of mercy. Your posture of mercy towards others should be present. Everyone. Everyone. And toward yourself. Because God's posture, our Father's posture is towards that. A.W. Tozer, in one of his books on holiness, he starts the book by saying this. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's just such an intriguing thought. And, and, and I've heard my coworkers talk about this a lot. Just the view of God that we have kind of dictates how we live our Christian life. And that might be what we struggle with in terms of judgment and our problem in regards to this God, aspect of the gospel, mercy. We're fighting against our view of God, maybe as this divine policeman, right? Or he's this divine record keeper. Or he's this divine worst, the worst, the judge. He's this divine judge. We've even got verses for how he will judge. So we see him as our view of judge. We're scared. Worse, we might see him as the accuser. That he, he's the only one that's perfect and, and he demands perfection and he has the right to demand it. And so he's keeping that record of wrongs. We see him as this. Now listen to how slippery this is. We see him as the father of truth and the God of all rightness. This is slippery because if I just texted you that phrase, you would say amen. So how I'm saying it's important. Look at me. The father of truth and the God of all rightness. The words accurate. I could find Bible verses for this. The posture I'm taking is weightier. It's very weighty. But it's righteous and true only how God intends it. So if we think of God as the policeman or the judge or the accuser or the record keeper of wrongs, then we're thinking of something and we hide that behind some true words. The father of truth and the God of all rightness. In stark contrast to this, Here's how Paul describes the father. He calls him the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's his starting place. He's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Here's the whole verse. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. How many of those troubles does he have mercies for? All of them. He's the father of mercies. I even like that. It's not father of mercy, as if he's got one mercy child. He's got lots of mercies. Whatever you're needing mercy from, he's got a child of mercy 
As a father, he's the father of mercy. He's got one that meets your needs. Whatever it is. And then it goes on. He comforts us in all our troubles so that, why? Why did he do this? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. This is why I say, you look at someone when they judge someone, they're probably living under the oppression of judgment. Because those who've received the comfort and mercy of God cannot help but let that spill over into anyone and everyone. They know themselves and their need for it. So they know others and their need for it. So that we can comfort those in which trouble? Any trouble. God makes it so simple. It's hard. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's simple. We love everyone. This is what God had. Mercy. The part of the gospel that is mercy. We get to receive it so that we can demonstrate it. If we're not demonstrating it, that's our telltale sign that we need to receive it. Let me ask our elders and our ministers to go ahead and move around the room here as we come in for a landing. I've got one more thing that I want to just say about this. In John 8, 44, Jesus is talking about that enemy. He's talking about Satan, right? And he declares how we should view him. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. He's a liar and the father of lies. In Revelation, Satan is called the accuser of the saints. We're being educated to view this enemy, Satan, in a primary way. As an accuser and a father of lies. In contrast to that, he's the father of mercies. I don't know what you need mercy from. There was this game that we played as kids starting junior high. Mercy. I don't know if you've ever, I don't see it played much anymore, but we used to play it. And you grab hands and, and then you just start trying to bend the other guy's wrist back. And, and you're trying to keep from being bent. And, and the, the way the game's over is when somebody's in so much pain, they cry out, mercy, mercy, mercy. The rules of the game are you stop at that point. The worst possible thing that could happen is to cry out for mercy and they just keep going. That's what you do to you. That's what you do to you. It's the worst thing you can do to you. Are you tired, church? Are you tired of living under the weight of judgment, be it another person's or your own or even God's? Are you weary of the constant, inescapable, low-grade tension in your stomach and in your soul that comes from it? Well, Jesus has a great invitation for you. I want to read it again, but again, taking the liberty to say it in a way that addresses this part of the gospel. He says, come to me. Stand up. Everybody stand up. Stand up. Come to me. All you who are falsely or even rightly accused as guilty. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and trust that I am extravagantly kind. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is merciful. Amen? If we can help you in any way, if you need a prayer about this, please come as we sing to this great God.